Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've taken some time to uh, dedicate these little ones before the Lord. Why? Because we love them. Familial love. Love that parents have for their children is a powerful and beautiful kind of love. I thought that I knew what love was when I chose to love a young lady named Stacy Longnecker. I chose to love her. She was different than other girlfriend or two that I'd had that was very selfish Um, confused attraction. I chose to love Stacy Longnecker, and then I found myself later on deeply in love with her. I don't want to make those two things seem very far apart, but that's how it worked. I chose to love this young lady. I remember sitting in a car in a church parking lot and looking over at her and saying, with all kinds of emotions bubbling up from the core of my being, I said, we are so in love. And she said, I know. (laughs) And it was a love by choice, but then it was a love by affection and desire. I thought I knew what love was, but then we had babies. And my babies, our babies, took my breath away ripped my heart out of my chest, and wrenched it. I thought I knew what love was from my union with Stacy Roden by that point. But then my kids, love, romantic love, familial love, powerful forces in this world, a part of common grace, non-believers, agnostics, atheists, People from aberrant religions have the opportunity to experience these common grace forms of love. But can I tell you that at their very best and their very highest expression, they are but a, a dim reflection. In the slightest hint and rumor of God's infinite true love that was found within himself, this infinite true love that has been expressed to each one of us and in which we have been invited into this beautiful, beautiful love. This is our study of 1 John. We're wrapping up in the next three weeks. We've been in this for several weeks, 13 now. Written by John, son of Zebedee, the last living apostle. He's old now. This is at least 90 to 94 AD, one of the very last books of the Bible to be written. And John is writing to his people that he shepherds and to his congregations. We looked at it the first week, 13 weeks ago, that he wants us to have fellowship with he and the other apostles, with the father and his son, and with one another. He wants us to experience the full experience of eternal life. Not then, but now. 
and he wants his joy and the apostles joy and our joy to be full and complete those are great motives and what a great agenda that has been first john everything in first john is for that fellowship life and joy and these are our instructions and lessons on how to live into this wonderful offer of fellowship life and joy we discover early on that it must come through walking in the light as he is in the light and it must come from a synonym to that abiding in christ remaining staying with staking our claim and not moving off our original conviction that jesus is the messiah jesus is the savior and that through jesus and jesus alone is the forgiveness of sins and we're called to remain and abide in this and one of the things we see as the 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 most significant important and central expression of abiding and walking in the light is loving one another this will be the third time in a very short epistle that John is going to bring this subject up and hammer away on it. The Romans had a uh, saying, repetition is the mother of all learning. I saw a plaque. It was, it's a military saying. The beatings will continue until morale improves. It doesn't always work. Except for the Marines. It was a Marine saying. But the point is this, we need to hear it again and again and again and again because no matter how mature we are as individuals and as a congregation, we're never going to arrive, we're never going to get this right. And we're going to act up and misbehave, so we need to hear about it again and again and again and again and again. So third time, here's what John says, 1 John chapter 4, and we're biting off a big chunk today, but it will move quickly. Third time, 1 John 4, 7 through 21, beloved, he uses the very word agapateo, that is what the word beloved is in the Greek, let us love one another. So that's John's imperative. If there's one takeaway, do this thing, that's where it is. Beloved, let us love one another. We're already beloved. We're the product of God's love. But it doesn't mean we're there yet or that it's automatic. So we need to be told again and again and again and again and again. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live. There's that word again. He wants us to live eternal life right now so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God. We didn't go first. We had nothing to offer. We're a bunch of rebels. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation. It means the appeasement of wrath. The appeasement. Because God hates sin. Why does he hate it? Because sin hurts the creature. And every time the creature sins, not only do they hurt themselves, they hurt others in their world. Whether they can see it in real time or not. All sin is a twisting of the image of God in us and to one another. And so that makes God angry. And he is righteously and holy in his anger toward our sin. But Jesus satisfied that anger. He took it for us. And he removed it from us. It goes on to say here in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And I want to just point out, now we've talked about the Father and the Son and now here's the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, whom he cannot has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. The way we love God is by loving others is what john's saying and then verse 21 this this commandment we have for, from him whoever loves god must also love his brother it's fascinating the whole book is written in a style and a form and then this passage it being the third time and then the way he goes around and around and in and through john is not like the apostle paul paul's like a lawyer or an auditor and he's taking them in a logical formula from point A to point B. John is different. John has this wise, apostolic, sagely vision in his mind of the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ perfected. Maturity in Christ. He's got this picture of what it should look like. And in John's mind, it's not just a here and now, but it stretches back into eternity past, if that could be put together. I, there's a problem with that, logically, but think of it that way. Stretches back into eternity past and eternity forward. In this picture of love, the reason why he can't get off of it, he's not just making a single logical point A to point B, so then, do this thing, but he's walking around 
He's looking at it from different angles, over and above and, and beneath and, and around in a sphere. And he's gazing at this vision of what it's supposed to look like in, his, in the lives of his recipients and ultimately in us. And he's describing it, and that's why it's, it's, it's not a logical formula. It's like, i got to tell you more. i got to explain it from over here and above it and beyond it. I cannot get off this. I want you to see it from as many angles as possible. Why? Because it's just that important. 29 times in 15 verses, John uses some form of the Greek word agape. And this is at the heart of John's thinking. Four different words describing four different kinds of love um, in the Greek. Three of them show up in the Greek New Testament. I won't go into them. And and not just a strict uh, technical definition of agape. But I want to give you a theology, just a quick definition, a theological definition of this word agape that shows up 29 times in the verses we just read. Remember, repetition, the mother of all learning. He wants us to understand and live and experience and express agape. And this is so important. Why? Because love has been hijacked and perverted by our world. Love is love is love is love is love. No, it's not. No, it is not. That is not true. Godly love is love. Not all forms and whatever label that we throw out there. Agape love is love. And so here is a definition so that we understand what kind of love we're talking about. Agape, a theological definition. Consistently giving oneself for the benefit of others, even at great cost to self. Consistently giving of oneself to others, even at great cost to self. It's not just words. It's not just a feeling. It is an action that is consistent over time. What does this look like in the real world? Where do we see it? I was reading a, a, a book um, by Oz Guinness and came across this uh, historical account of a small town in France during World War II that became the center of nonviolent resistance against the Nazis. The town Le Chambon, France, populated by French Huguenots. In the words of one eyewitness in Le Chambon, France, quote, two boxy khaki-colored buses coming into the gray granite square of a French mountain village. And what was he seeing? It was the Vichy police. The ones that came to round up the little Jewish boys and girls to take them away, to torture them, and and to perform just grotesque experiments on them. In this tiny village, led by their Huguenot pastor, said, no. 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 You may not have the children. In Le Chambon, 
became the safest place in all of Europe for Jewish children. In the end, and at great peril to their own lives, they saved over 5,000 Jewish children. That is Christian love. That is godly love. That is agape love. Consistently giving oneself for the benefit of others, even at great cost to self. This is agape. In John's agenda, John's agenda in the text we read today is this. This is our bottom line. God's love for us must become God's love among us. It is massively dysfunctional to claim salvific faith and, and the new life in Christ and to be an unloving person. It is impossible. It's, it's illogical. And yet at times, each of us in various ways are unloving. And we must repent and we must grow and we must not make excuses for we must learn to express God's love amongst us. And I would argue this. It's the title of the message. This is the gut of salvation. Gut. G-U-T. What does that stand for? The Grand Unified Theory. Those of you who took physics, physics majors, or in that, in that arena, engineers, you know, perhaps, Grand Unified Theory of the Universe this is an attempt to bring together all the fundamental forces of the universe, gravity, uh, the, the weak atomic uh, principle, the strong nuclear force, and uh, there's one more in electromagnetism. And Einstein was working on, he could align a couple at a time um, in, in a, a single mathematical equation, but he's working on trying to align all four fundamental forces of the universe into one single eloquent equation and he couldn't do it it's never been done but can i tell you it has been done in regards to our salvation the gut of salvation the grand unified theory of all things god for us is love agape love to us and through us let me show it to you this way salvation the forgiveness of sins, which is the reconciliation between us and an offended God that we have rebelled against. The forgiveness of sins, adoption, more than forgiveness in, in the removal of sins. We are adopted in love by God as sons and daughters. When we receive the gift of faith, have you received it? Have you believed? Have you called on the Lord? Why not now? Just pray, pray with me. God, right now, I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross in my place. Right now, I, I, I receive that for me. Please adopt me into your family. Done deal. If you prayed that, you're in. That's all the scripture says. By grace alone, through faith alone. And you're in. That is salvation, but it's not done yet. God's love for us. And to us must become God's love in us and amongst us. And that is the grand unified theory of salvation. Listen to Paul, the logical one. 
1 Timothy 1.5. The aim of our charge is love. He's talking to a young pastor that's in charge of churches all over Ephesus. And he's saying, all the Christians in Ephesus, and everything that I do when I'm church planting and discipling others, all of it, the doctrine, the teaching, the meetings, the sermons, it comes down to this, says Paul, love. What word is that? Agape. And that this love, in order to be agape, must come from these three streams, from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is the gut of salvation, the grand unified theory. John says at the beginning of this text, beloved, let us love one another. Now, this agape love is so deeply and profoundly rooted in the nature of God that the rest of this text is anchored in the triunity of the infinite, eternal, biblical, true God. Okay, that's what that word means, trinity. Tri, three persons, unity, one God. And can I just add, I'm not going to wax eloquent on this. The trinity of God is the only understanding of God that is worthy of all of his attributes. And what we discover is when we, tr we study the, the trinity, God was self-sufficient and totally complete within himself. And God is and was love. Love always needs an object. Love gives. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Love must have an object. And what was the object of God's infinite, eternal, triune nature? Himself. The Father fully and infinitely loves the Son and the Spirit. And the Son infinitely and completely loved the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit fully and completely, infinitely loves the Father and the Son. And so when God created, he wasn't creating because he needed an object. He had his object of love. What was creation? God in an infinite, eternal love fest saying we've got to invite more into this amazing, infinite, eternal experience of love. That's why he creates. He's not dependent. He didn't need. He wanted to bring in more. It's the only understanding of God that is worthy of him. And that is why John, for the rest of this text, talks about the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Let's run through these quickly. Verse 7 through 8. Beloved, let us want, love one another, for love is from God. It's talking about the Father. Whoever, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. They're living in that experience. Anyone who does not love does not know. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. You don't know him, though. You're not like him. You're not abiding in him. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And for the fill in the blank, just talking about the Father, God the Father is the source and essence of love. Love for us, if we are his children, Love is the very 23andMe genetic marker of the child of God. 
How can we who claim to be forgiven and adopted into his family as sons and daughters not reflect the family identity? Love is the family identifier. He is the source and essence of love. He is the one who is always giving himself on the behalf of others. For God so loved the world that he gave. He's the one. And in fact, he calls us to reflect that. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said these words. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So it's not just, oh, there's some good people and we're brother and sister, let's love them. But it's even those who are not good, that are not brothers and sisters. That we are to express the love of the Father as the Father is expressing to the world in open arms. Anyone, anyone who will, let him come to me. Jesus stood up on the last day of the great feast and said, Is anyone thirsty? Let him come unto me. The invitation. God, arms open wide and forever giving of himself for others. And that takes us to the second person of the Godhead. God the Son is the ultimate expression of love. This is the gospel. Verse 9 and 10. If in this the love of God was made manifest, it was a tangible historical by the way there's more evidence of jesus of nazareth than for abraham lincoln there's more evidence for the crucifixion and the resurrection than for any other piece of history and in history god became flesh and came into our midst two thousand years ago and walked amongst us in this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is a costly love. It was costly for the father and it was costly for the son. But I want you to understand, look at the picture of agape from the very words of Jesus, of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. John chapter 10, John's Gospel. Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. That is agape. Giving oneself, even at great cost, to self. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If this is what the Father and the Son did for us, how in the world can we just go on saying, well, I'm just kind of a jerk sometimes. It's how I get things done. Really? And you make a mess of your testimony when you do that, when I do that. How can we not reflect the goodness of God the Father and God the Son? That's what John's saying. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then thirdly, God the Holy Spirit is mentioned in here. All in the same context of 
29 times talking agape, that the Spirit is in here, the, the Holy Spirit is the transforming power of love in and through us. He changes us and ministers through us. Verse 13 through 15, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. It, the, who is the one that abides in us? What person of the Godhead? The Father, the Son? Well, it's called the, he's called the Spirit of the Father or the Son. But it's the Holy Spirit is the one that abides in. By this we know and abide in him and he in us because he has given us his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us this belief and ability to believe it and confess this. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us that belief and that statement, that profession of faith. But it's also the Holy Spirit who indwells the child of God and generates not just belief and a statement of faith, but generates love. Verse 16 and 17, so we have come to know him and believe that the love that God has for us starts there. God, do I really believe in my heart of hearts that you love me? Are you kind of mad at me all the time? See, we need to get to a place where we go, look, he loves me. And I'm not always perfectly behave. But God loves me. That is a transforming conviction. That changes us from within. He goes on to say, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. What person of God? The Holy Spirit. Love is key. To grow in that love. To grow in that love. I, I find this, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Galatians 5. Names all the deeds of the flesh. Enmity, strife, jealousy, orgies, immorality, all this ick and filth. Stuff that's very attractive at times to our human fallenness. And our ap sinful appetites. But then he goes on, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and what's the first one? Love. Yeah, and a whole bunch of others that, that go along with it. Love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, humility, goodness, gentleness, self-control. But love, agape, the fruit of the Spirit through us. He forms this in us. It's the Holy Spirit. The Father, the one that has always been giving of himself for the benefit of others. That gave the Son, and the Son that gave his life willingly and the spirit that is given to us that gives us faith, belief, and transforms us and gives us the fruit of the spirit being love. And here's the final fill in the blank. While godly love will often be costly. Remember our definition of love? Agape? Even at great cost to self. Often. Often. Your time, your energy, your money, your emotion... I mean, people can wear you down. It's hard. We, not, we must rely on the Holy Spirit to be loving. It will often be costly, but can I just tell you, put it in the big construct of 1 John, it will always lead to fellowship, life, and joy. And that is what the conclusion of our text today is all about. Confidence for the day of judgment. Love perfected that casts out fear, fear of judgment, fear that God's mad at me, fear of what others might do to me. 
And it's like, where's that in the equation? That's antithetical. When I genuinely love others, it ain't about me anymore. It's not about how much it costs financially or in time or energy or effort. Love gives of itself. It casts out fear. It moves forward. Love is perfecting. It is freeing. It is transformational. Love perfected is the path to true flourishing. Fellowship with the Father and with His Son and with one another. Eternal life and joy made full. Let me tell you a story quickly from the 4th century. Uh, a church father named Jerome in his commentary on Galatians 6.10 wrote this, was passed down to him orally, and he wrote it in his commentary. The blessed John, the evangelist, lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to the church, and he could not muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, he usually said nothing except for little children love one another. The disciples and brothers in attendance annoyed because they always heard the same words. Finally said, teacher, why do you always say this? And John replied with a line worthy of John, and I quote, because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. This is the grand unified theory of our salvation. Love. How do we make it practical? I'm quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer on the topic of community and fellowship and feeling like we belong and having our needs met relationally. Bonhoeffer said this, the person who's in love with their vision of community this is what I want, this is what I think, this is what I need, will destroy community. But the person who loves the people around them will create community everywhere they go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It's what we were made for. It's how we were redeemed and forgiven, adopted. And we must we must love one another, and it will be costly. You will open up your home. You will open up your check account, your, your credit card, whatever it is. You will open up your heart. You will make sure that there is no one left behind, left out. You will look for those who are straying from the fold. You will give yourself in prayer on their behalf. You will pay the price, just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit have paid the price. And we will discover love perfected in our midst. Our ushers are going to come forward, and it's a time that we are going to remember the high cost of God's love for us. The Spirit testifies in the Scriptures and to us. The Spirit testifies that the Father sent the Son for us, and that the Son 
in alignment with the Father and the Spirit, said, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Listen to this verse back to our text. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. In this is love. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appeasement of wrath for our sins. Broken body, shed blood of Jesus. Making payment for the sins of the world. If only they would believe, but for those of us who have believed, let us reflect and be reminded of the high cost of our forgiveness. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he lifted the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. And for everyone here who has received, who has called on the Lord, who has asked for forgiveness, this is a reminder of how he gives us forgiveness. Jesus put himself in the path of God's righteous anger towards sin. And Jesus soaked it up in his own body. He absorbed the punishment of the Father's anger toward sin. And it broke his body. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, says that he took the cup and he says this represents the new covenant in my blood many Old Testament prophecies of a new day coming a new covenant a new promise that God would remove a heart of flesh that he would circumcise our very hearts no longer will we say to one another Know the Lord, for they will all know me. Why? Because he will give us his spirit who will convict and transform and indwell. He will give us a new heart. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And then the apostle Paul would just add to this. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. We just did that to ourselves, to one another, and to the world. That's what communion is. What a gift to be reminded of God's great love for us and to us. And today to be reminded that that was, is also to be God's love among us. Can we be sure to forgive one another? Let it go. Let debts go. The blood of Christ has paid it off. Can we reconcile? Can we receive one another? Can we not judge one another's heart motives when a word comes out funny? 
Can we speak the best of each other behind our backs? Assume the best in your brothers and sisters. Can we open our homes for the holidays, open up our families, make room at our tables, make sure no one is left behind, and can we have an eye for others that God is drawing to eternal life? Open up our hearts and our calendars and our time for them as well. Let's do it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.